Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is on the air. Never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum is a call to arms for those American patriots who, in the tradition of our founding fathers, will stand up now to defend the Constitution and the liberties that it guarantees to each citizen, to each of us. That is our mission, to explain in a clear and concise manner the direct effect of each issue on the individual, on you personally not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin. This is Dr. Dan. We are talking about the Constitution. We're talking about the Proclamation of Independence, the Constitution Bill of Rights, the intentions of our founding fathers, the principles under which this country was founded, and the principles under which we are supposed to be governed so that we can remain free individuals. My guest is Keith Broders, who is the promoter of the Liberty Tree University website. It's an educational website, and Lord knows one of the things that we are missing so desperately in this country now is the education of the population, the education of our children and our grandchildren, because if they don't understand the principles of why we are free and why we wish to remain free, we will not be a nation of free individuals. What it comes down to is how do we select the people who rule over us? And once they are selected, how do we make sure that we maintain our freedom? How do we make sure they do not take our freedom away? And so we are discussing how presidents have been chosen over the course of American history. And I'm welcoming back to Freedom Forum Radio Keith Broders. Welcome back, Keith Broders. Well, thank you very, very much. One of the things I did not mention earlier when I was speaking was the fact that uh, only one time in the history of our country has there been a president who initially received, uh, who did not receive the majority of the electoral votes or the popular vote. In the case of John Quincy Adams, he received neither, and yet he was elected president because the because he didn't have enough electoral votes. The election was turned over to the House of Representatives, and as a result, there was that corrupt bargain that enabled Henry Clay to become Secretary of State in exchange for uh, throwing his support in the direction of John Quincy Adams. And so, as a result, um, Andrew Jackson was very upset because he had the most popular votes, he had the most electoral votes, and yet he did not get elected. And so, at that particular time in our history, the states... As as a, in, in response, most of the states changed their method of electing their uh, choosing their electors, and as a result, the number of uh, people who actually participated in the election of the president increased dramatically. I believe that in 1824, in the election, there was only around 150 or so thousand people who who participated by voting for the presidential electors, and yet. In 1828, when there was the, when after the states changed their method of choosing their electors, 
there was over a million uh, people who who participated in the election of the electors. And so essentially what happened was we started to move in the direction of a democracy. So here's what's something that's very important, uh, I think, for people to understand, Keith, is that in the beginning, our founders separated out the source of power for the different branches of government. This was an important division, and it was important in their minds that there would be separation. For instance, as we discussed, the House of Representatives was the only part of government that was elected directly, and I should say the federal government, and I think that's an important distinction, the only part of the federal government that was directly elected by popular vote of the citizens. When you got to the Senate, the Senate was supposed to represent the interest of each sovereign state. And so therefore, each sovereign state legislature was the one who appointed uh, their own uh, representation in the Senate. And that was to ensure that, well, one chamber of Congress was responsible to the people. But the second one, presumably the more powerful one, was the one that represented the direct interest of each of the states. And then, of course, when you got to the executive branch, then it was supposed to be the wise, uh, educated people uh, of the nation who were to get together and in their wisdom choose someone uh, to be the chief executive. And all of this and I know you know this, and I will just say it, all of this was predicated upon a minimal federal government with with a powers, limited powers enumerated in Article 1, Section 8, so that these people who went to Washington, D.C. to do the business of the federal government were going to be there for a few months every year and then go back to their place where they lived and live by the rules that they enacted. That was the basic principle, separation of powers, and no permanent political class. So, Keith Broders, let's go on with our discussion of the source of powers in our government and the intentions of our founders. Well, again, the... Um you mentioned the election of the senators. Of course, what the founding fathers had intended was that we have a republican form of government, which means that the the representatives of the people would would make that selection. Now, the representatives of the people at the state level are the are the state senators and the state uh, assemblymen, et cetera. They, in turn, would basically choose the persons to represent the state's interests in the in the national government. And that was the intent. And when the 17th Amendment was unlawfully ratified, what it really did is it it took away that Republican element and turned it in again into more of a democracy because the states had what we know as a bicameral legislature. One legislature uh, was to represent the counties and one one legislative branch was to represent the people. But when when you have... uh, the situation that, that came about, all of a sudden, the um, the legislature became a unicameral legislature. Both houses were selected by the people, by a direct vote of the people. It took away the checks and balances and helped promote the t- potential tyranny of a majority. And uh, in the Constitution, it, it tells us that 
In Article 5, it says that no state shall be denied its suffrage in the Senate without their consent. Well, the 17th Amendment violates that very principle. There are seven states today that have never ratified the 17th Amendment. Their rights guaranteed to them in the fifth article are, are not being recognized. They are being violated. So, again, this this was an interesting thing, is that how did it come about? Why did it come about that all of a sudden we now have a situation where uh, money and and money from all over the country is gets funneled into individual Senate races. Uh, to me, that really destroys the basic principle of federalism, uh, the basic principle that each state is its own sovereign entity. I mean, I read some astronomical figures of how many millions and millions of dollars were used in some of the Senate races this year. Most of it coming from outside of the state. Doesn't that really destroy the system? I, I believe it does. And I believe, for example, in the case of Lindsey Graham in South Carolina, they said that in order to defeat him, the Democrats, uh, investors, put in $100 million to knock him out. Well, and again, like you said, most of the money that comes in for these senatorial races comes from out of state. So it, it completely defeats the whole purpose of representative government if if basically the financial interests of the Wall Street bankers basically completely trump the... Uh, you know, it's, it's amazing, actually, uh, Lindsey Graham, you mentioned Lindsey Graham. I'm thinking of Susan Collins in Maine. I think the opposition spent $90 million uh, to try to defeat her. Isn't it interesting, though, that these people, that these key Senate races, those people were, the incumbents were successful, even though they fought against multiple millions of dollars more than they were able to raise themselves. What does that tell you? Well, and why would a person spend, if the person had the money, why would a person spend millions and millions of dollars to, to get a job that pays 200000 So there has to be some hidden benefits that they're, that that entice them to want to those and so most of the people cannot afford to run for office unless they get a benefactor and the benefactor is going to give them the money in exchange for political favors. So there you go, right there. Then what happens is we are not electing independent representatives of us. There's no way that someone elected my congressman my senators from my state, there's no way they're going to really, truly listen to me uh, or anyone else for that matter because I can't compete with the money that's being funneled into the race. That is truly the root of all evil in our system today. That money corrupts everyone in Washington. Well, that's uh, that's absolutely the case. So, so basically, almost all of the things that that have taken us away from from the principle of a republic. Uh, when Benjamin Franklin left the convention, Mrs. Powell asked him, she said, sir, what have you given us? And he said, we've given you a republic, ma'am, if you can keep it. And that's exactly the case. And we have been um, irresponsible and negligent, and we've allowed a democracy to creep in. And uh, the will of the majority now trumps the will of the minority. And uh, 
This is this is exactly what the founding fathers feared. The anti-federalists, uh, with Patrick Henry and uh, George Mason and Thomas Jefferson, they all they all foresaw the future. They saw what was what would happen if we allowed the people to be able to uh, vote themselves money out of the public treasury. Well, that of course is what's gone on, and that comes back to the entire concept of group identity as opposed to individual sovereignty. Isn't that the case? For sure. Uh, no question about it. Uh, there was another quote, obviously, that uh, Benjamin Franklin made. He says that those who are willing to give up a portion of their liberty to obtain security receive neither. And I think that's that's very true. Like right now in the situation we're in right now, uh, we have a situation where we have we're supposedly have the freedom to be able to worship and to go to church and to participate in church on Sunday. But now the government's telling us, no, we can't do that. Uh, they're saying that you can't sing because it's, uh, it's jeopardizing the security. So again, this, this, this idea of liberty or security, which is more important. Well, founding fathers believed that, uh, liberty was most important today. We're moving in the direction that security is more important. Well, we certainly have seen that in terms of what has happened with the uh, COVID-19 virus. Some some states, uh, which are governed by uh, mostly Democrat governors, have been extremely strict in what they have done. And it's all been done not by vote, not by the the will of the people. It's been done in a tyrannical fashion by executive order. Uh, that's certainly the case here in North Carolina where the governor has been an absolute dictator, has not listened to anyone's ideas, and he has closed down the state uh, in a harsh uh, and vindictive way uh, that has punished people for absolutely no reason. Well, I think that people need to, people, frankly, have been trained to become dependent. Not We have a thing called the Declaration of Independence, but the, but the powers to be, the bankers, the Wall Street lawyers, lobbyists, politicians, they've tried to make us dependent. And they want to govern us by fear. They realize that they can get virtually everything they want if they can make us sufficiently afraid. So what else do we need to discuss in terms of the the transferring of power uh, from the people uh, to the uh, arrogant elite. That's really what we're talking about here, isn't it, Keith? And I know that, yeah. that we should really discuss uh, the 17th Amendment. Obviously, the 16th Amendment was another another problem in terms of uh, taking power away from the states. Isn't that where the collectivists are going? They don't want us to be free as individuals. They want us to depend on the federal government. Well, that, that's right. The, the other point that I wanted to make, and that is in Article 1, Section 2, Clause 3, it, it is the um, portion of the Constitution that deals with the apportionment issue. And um, basically, the and this is recorded in the Federalist Papers uh, on several occasions, it talks about the number of representatives and the, and the ratio of representatives to the number of people in a congressional district. It was established by the Founding Fathers that there was to be one representative from each state to represent every 30,000 inhabitants. Well, today, 
I believe you're going to find that the average congressional district today has over 700,000 people. Well, from a practical point of view, uh, doesn't it make it impossible to truly have a functional House of Representatives if it were back to that original ratio? Well, let me let me mention something that, that most people are unaware of, and that is the fact that the the members of the House of Representatives have a paid staff. Each one is allotted twenty two representatives to represent that particular congressman. So we have one congressman in each congressional district, and we have twenty two unelected, unaccountable bureaucrats helping him out. And so we already have in the House of Representatives. We have 435 representatives, and we have over 9,500 unelected bureaucrats already there. The idea that uh, having all, – all I'm basically saying is let's keep the same number of representatives, but let's, let's have the bureaucrats elected, and let's have them accountable. Well, no one would argue with you at all, Keith. Um, and again, I'm speaking with Keith Broders. Uh, Keith Broders, who is the promoter of Liberty Tree University website, an educational website for our history, our Constitution, the intentions of our founding fathers. Again, one of our major problems in Washington nowadays is the fact that most of the laws that are written are not written by our representatives. They're written by faceless, nameless, unelected bureaucrats over which we have no control. Exactly. Well, I, I think that, that one of the things we have to take a look at is we go back to the words of Thomas Jefferson in the Declaration of Independence. He says is that when the government becomes abusive to the cause of freedom, it is not only the right, but it is the duty of the people to either alter or abolish. And the question that I, I would like to pose at this time is, has that time come? Has our government become tyrannical? And if it has, we can either uh, submit to tyranny or we can or we can do what Thomas Jefferson has suggested, and that is to alter or abolish our form of government. I don't believe that it makes a whole heck of a lot of difference who we elect to be our state, excuse me, our senators. They're, they're both of them, if they're Republican or Democrat, they basically get their money from the financial elite. So basically, I don't know if it really makes any difference. I think the system is broken. I don't think replacing a cockroach with a termite is a good idea. Well, you're right. The system is broken. Uh, that that really should be painfully obvious to anyone uh, who really studies the situation like you have. I consider you to be a constitutional scholar uh, because you have read that, you've read all of the source material, you have spent years becoming a scholar on the Constitution. So I respect your opinion. I respect the fact that you have extensive knowledge, uh, and I thank you for doing that work. But the question is, how do we communicate that to people? How do we make people understand the the straits that the the straits that we're in as a nation? Uh, how do we do that? Well, I think the problem is is that the American people as a whole don't think. We are not a, a nation of critical thinkers. We're a nation of sheep who listen to the mainstream media and and and, and assume that we're not intelligent enough to make wise decisions without depending upon some sort of an expert. Most people, when it comes to the presidential election, most people are terribly un uneducated. They're also extremely lazy. 
they don't want to take the time and effort to learn the facts. They basically just repeat what they hear on the mainstream media. They listen to their college professors and their school teachers and assume that their teachers uh, know what they're talking about. Our public schools today are basically places, they're, they're lapdog training centers where children are sent to be programmed, to be obedient servants to the state. Uh, they're not taught what to think. They're taught, excuse me, they're not taught how to think. They're taught what to think. And so we have a problem. Our school system is dedicated on trying to remain, have the people remain ignorant because it's a lot easier to control an ignorant man than it is to control a man who is wide awake. And that concludes another episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Join the battle on our website, www.drdansfreedomforum.com. The right to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral right and constitutional basis for individual freedom. All right this morning. Oh, <laughs>